The Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning at verse 23. We're just getting a snippet here of a much bigger conversation. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, they will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, this past Thursday, the Atlantic magazine published an article titled, The Impossible Future of Christians in the Middle East. This article was drawn from stories and interviews with Christian citizens and leaders of the Nineveh Plain in Iraq, the geographical center of Christianity in that region with settlements and churches dating all the way back to the time just after Christ. And these leaders and residents of this historic Christian area shared stories of how the future looks bleak for them. The constant pressures from Baghdad to the south, Syria to the west, Iran to the east, and the Kurdish states to the north, leaves the small Iraqi Christian community pinched in a struggle between earthly powers much greater than them. The elders of this Christian community in northern Iraq remember a time when they would visit Jewish villages on pilgrimages, but because of persecution, of violence, and of oppression, those villages have been abandoned for almost 50 years. And these Christian towns are beginning to wonder if that will be their fate too. If the residents of Nineveh half a century from now will have nothing but memories, nothing but stories about the Christians who used to live here. Around the world, we see similar conflicts, similar threats to the church. The Coptic church in Egypt worries that they'll be swallowed up by the Muslim majority. The Ethiopic church in Ethiopia worries that increasing immigration and religious diversity will dilute their historic expression of the Christian faith. 
The dwindling Armenian church in Turkey faces constant threats from gangs and mobs who vandalize and loot their churches with impunity. The Mar Tomas church in Western India, which traces its leadership all the way back to the Apostle Thomas, worries about growing nationalism and religious identity in that country and dwindling religious tolerance toward religious minorities. The Sri Lankan Catholic community is still reeling from the bombs that targeted their worshiping communities just a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday. Around the world, the church faces threats, bombings, shootings, assimilation, discrimination, persecution. The powers of this world seem to stop at nothing to cut off the witness of Christ's body here on earth. And we wonder, when will Christ come again and put an end to all this pain? When will Christ come again and bring justice on this earth? I wonder for the first generation of Christians whether it was a disappointment that Christ did not return while they were still living. The New Testament letters certainly reflect some sort of crisis of belief around the turn of the century. Suddenly, the apostles, the disciples of Jesus Christ himself, the first generation of Christians, begin to die. Not of martyrdom. I mean, some of them did die of martyrdom, and people kind of expected that and made sense of that, had theological ways to understand that. But then people started to die of old age. Imagine what this does to your faith when you've lived with the hope in Christ's promise, those who believe in me will never die. I wonder if they felt abandoned. I wonder if today Christians around the world suffering persecution, facing the potential extermination of their ancient expressions of the Christian faith, feel abandoned. Even for us, even though we live in relative peace and safety, even though we are free to express our religion in the public sphere, I don't think it's so uncommon feelings that God has abandoned us. In a post-ascension world, we live in this reality that Christ has left us. And while we know and will confess this coming week that Christ ascended for our benefit, the fact that Christ is not physically present with us here today can be a difficult thing. When we get hit in the gut with bad news, the death of someone we love dearly, the diagnosis of cancer or some other terrible disease, the announcement that someone who we respect and look up to has fallen into sin, or that we don't have enough in our account to cover this month's bills, it can be easy to feel like God has abandoned us. It can be easy to feel bewildered and confused when things don't go the way we think they ought to go if we follow God, if we follow Christ. We confess that God is in control, that God is supposed to protect and provide for us, that God is supposed to bless us. 
And when things aren't good, we can be left stunned and bewildered. Like the disciples in our passage for tonight. Throughout this long dinnertime conversation at the Last Supper, before Jesus goes to die, he's trying to explain to his disciples that he must die so that he can be resurrected and ascend to the Father. And it's easy for us to see that the disciples are bewildered and confused by what Jesus is trying to tell them. Jesus tells them, I'm not leaving you as orphans earlier in the passage, but to them it seems like it feels an awful lot like Jesus is leaving them as orphans. It's easy for us to see that the disciples are bewildered because they ask a whole bunch of questions through this whole conversation. Where are you going? Why can't we follow you now? How will we know the way? Why can't you show us the Father? Why have you revealed yourself to us but not to the world? The disciples are bewildered and confused by what Jesus is trying to tell them. Their hearts are troubled. They are afraid because Jesus is blowing up their picture of who God is. The disciples see God in a very specific way. The disciples see God as the rightful king over all the earth, and in their minds, Jesus is the ambassador of God's kingdom. Jesus is the great general who God has sent to conquer the kingdoms of this world and establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. And for them, that's a very literal thing. That's what they imagine will happen. The miracles and wonders that Jesus has performed, his teaching on the coming kingdom of God, the triumphal entry, the crowds that follow Jesus, for the disciples, all of these point to one thing, revolution. Jesus will enter Jerusalem. The crowds will take up arms in the name of the kingdom of God and overthrow the Roman Empire and crown Jesus as the king in David's line. Their understanding of God is very one-dimensional. God is king, and Jesus is his ambassador. So when Jesus blows that whole picture up, when he tells them that he's not going to overthrow Rome, that instead he's going to be arrested and crucified and die, so that he can be raised from the dead, only to then ascend into heaven and leave them behind still on earth. Their whole understanding, their whole concept of God is challenged. And so they feel disappointed, bewildered, confused, abandoned. And that is something that we can understand. When it comes down to it, we all have a limited understanding of God. And when things don't go the way that we expect, when our picture of who God is is challenged, called into question, we feel bewildered. 
we feel abandoned. If we see God as the all-father in the sky, doling out blessings on those he loves, then when we fall into hard times, we wonder if God has forgotten about us, if he's abandoned us. If we see God as the great healer, and then we get sick, we wonder why God is punishing us. If we see God as the puppet master whose strings are, whose hands are pulling the strings of history, then when things go badly for us, we feel like God has it out for us. We all have an incomplete picture of who God is, just like the disciples. And like the disciples, we need Christ to speak into our bewilderment and reshape our imaginations so that we can see what is really going on in our lives. And what Jesus tells his disciples here, what he tells us today, is that he has not abandoned us. He will never abandon us. He sends the spirit of truth to be with us, to help us, to live with us, to teach us all things, to remind us of everything Jesus has said, to make us realize that Christ is in God and Christ is in us and we are in Christ. What Jesus does here is he gives the disciples, a new picture to help them make sense of who God is. The Holy Spirit is often called the shy member of the Trinity. Many of us have a picture in our heads of God the Father, maybe. It's not hard for us to imagine Jesus Christ, have a picture in our heads of Jesus, although it might be hard for some people to reconcile their picture in their head of Jesus with their picture of God the Father. But not many of us have an imagination for the third person of the Trinity, for the Holy Spirit. We confess in the Nicene Creed, like we did tonight, that the Spirit is the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets. That's hard to imagine in picture form. When we imagine the Spirit, maybe we imagine a dove, like we have in several parts of the sanctuary here, but more often I think it's hard for us to imagine anything more than a wind, a breath, a vapor, a mist. The Spirit doesn't draw attention to itself. The Spirit is always pointing us to God in Christ. And I think that that's part of what makes the Spirit hard to imagine. But Jesus here gives us a word that can help provoke our imaginations. Our translation says, I will send you the Counselor. Verse 26, the Counselor, 
the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Other translations translate this word counselor as advocate. Other translations say that the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Greek word, which I've made the title of this sermon, is the paraclete. Not the parakeet, the paraclete. And this is one of those words that I've always thought should just be transliterated in this passage. It shouldn't be translated. It should just say, I'm sending you the paraclete. Because this is one of those words that, that we can't really capture well in English. We can't capture everything that paraclete means with one English word. Paraclete in the Greek is actually a compound word. Para is a preposition that means beside or alongside. And kalo is a verb that means to call or to cry out. And so the word paraclete means something along the lines of the one who cries out alongside of you. The one who speaks out beside you. The advocate who speaks for you when you can't find the words. The comforter who speaks words of hope to you in your darkness. The consoler who cries with you when you mourn. The interceder who cries for you when you have run out of tears. The helper who gives you strength when you feel weak. The spirit is our paraclete. The one who cries out at our side. The one who cries when we cannot. The one who speaks when we can't find the words. The one who lifts our prayers to heaven. Where our Lord is seated at the right hand of the Father to hear and answer our prayers. People of God, one of the things that breaks my heart as a pastor is when I go on visits to brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering and they ask, why is God doing this to me? It's difficult to answer in the moment because it reflects such a one-dimensional view of God as the big man in the sky who does things to us. But God is so much more. In the person of Jesus, God enters into our suffering, even unto death. In the person of the Holy Spirit, our God cries out at our side even when we cannot find the words. As the Apostle Paul puts it, the Spirit intercedes for us with cries and groans that words cannot express. And even in our suffering, even in our pain, even in our sorrow, we are drawn into union with our God who cries out beside us, Come quickly, Lord Jesus, and bring peace 
on this earth. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you do not abandon us. That you do not leave us alone in our small pictures of who you are. We thank you that in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our pain, in our loneliness, you are with us. You are in us. And you cry out beside us for things to be made right. That you cry with us at the hurt in this world. Lord, we pray that you would give us strength in our sorrow. We pray that you would give us peace in our trouble. We pray that we might feel the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives and know that we are not alone, that you are with us. Amen.